Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Night Reader Podcast, a literary exploration. Thank you so much for joining me today, and we're going to be moving through a great, important scene of Moby Dick called the Quarter Deck, where Ahab bribes his crew, turns his crew, and gets them all ready to go hunt the great whale. He convinces them through a ceremonious act, as well as some devious actions. So, today, we'll be moving through that episode with uh, some cool voices, some music, and a lot of other cool things. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you stick around with me through this whole entire episode and further on. I highly recommend you go back and begin with episode one, or if you're looking for some quick inspiration, check out the Your Favorite Read episodes six and nine. If you like what I do, please support me by giving me positive uh, feedback or reviews or whatever it may be. Share with the reader in your life. Uh, follow me on Instagram to stay most up, uh, up to date with me. So, Herman Melville, with his masterful poetry of the world, I am forever in awe at your work. Your words have stained my soul and your piercing eyes have bored through my skull. I feel you a brother, Herman, Ishmael, whoever you are. In token of my admiration of your genius, this is for you, Herman Melville, everything I do in this podcast. You were the literary blanket I used to warm my stagnant soul. So how is it, Herman, that you have reached out from beyond the grave, stark through my chest and into my caged heart? to write your words directly on my pulse. Never have I felt this pull of admiration for someone I've never met or seen yet in emotion. Next year, I'm visiting your grave for some silent time with you. I plan on visiting New Bedford and sailing from there to Nantucket and farther if I am allowed. This harkens back to my earliest episodes where I speak about inspiration. How funny and fickle it is. It's so wild how we as humans can be inspired, or how we can be inspirational after our time, and not even live to see our effects on this world. Words, simple words. Words can cause us to win or lose. Words can leave us empty or full. Words can influence, truly. Influence into new hobbies, new activities, new experiences, new lifestyles. Isn't that just powerful? What other medium has this kind of effect on us as people? Art, possibly? There's something to be said about the strong effects literature has on us throughout our lives. It is exponential and incredibly interesting to me. I'm not ashamed of my love for you and your art, Herman. Thank you. Now, if I may, a small interjection here. I'm gonna play a little bit of background music and tell you guys a couple background things that might help you out, uh, help you understand the next chapter a little bit better. We're gonna go over some ship's directions for better reference. The front of the vessel is called the bow and the back is the stern. If you're moving backwards on the ship, you're moving aft, like after. If you're moving towards the bow, you're moving fore or forwards. The main deck is the deck you are on when you walk aboard the ship, out in the open. Towards the back, there would be a high deck called the poop deck. 
Sometimes there would be a shelter deck underneath that. Towards the front of the ship, there'd be a sort of building called the forecastle. A castle in the front. It provides height advantage and protection during naval warfare. Between the main deck and the foredeck, which is atop the forecastle, there's a small quarter deck, which is where all hands would be called. And any kind of ceremony aboard this vessel would be held. So we're brought to chapter 36, called the quarter deck. This is one of the most important and thematic scenes in the book. It's largely important and shows how Ahab converts his crew in a dark, twisted ceremony. We see his true power on swaying lives. Now, before we get into this, a bit more preliminary information. In many religions that practice some form of holy communion, mostly Christian-based branches, this communion, this communion is a joining of souls to worship together and ingest the blood and body of Christ through the form of bread and wine. Some specific denominations would practice this by making a circle of people in a church, with the priest and three priests of lower status in the middle. They'll say a sort of prayer and drink from chalices. Sometimes the chalice is sent in the circle. This is a very specific practice and there are many other forms of it. But it's important that you have this image in your head and also that you understand that usually this is a practice of peace. It is not something that is used for evil or bad doings. It is generally a pleasant and positive event. We will see in this chapter how Herman Melville parodies this practice, as Ahab uses this type of ceremony to convince his crew and sap the free will out of them. Whether it's his nearly unearthly hatred and vengeance that has risen him up on this pedestal of power, or this is the universe working its wonders, or a bit of both, we're not sure of. Now, let's talk about this chapter. And then we'll discuss the deeply rooted meanings behind the scene. It was not long after Ahab's affair with his pipe, when one morning Captain Ahab emerged from the cabin gangway up onto the main deck. He paced as a countryman would pace his garden after dinner. The planks are dented here and there with the mark of his ivory leg. But these markings were nothing compared to the numerous tracks of his pacing thoughts in his mind. He turns and turns. Was this the right time? Were they far enough out at sea? Aye. Yes. Second mate Stubb and third mate Flask stare on. And Stubb whispers. You mock him, Flask. The chick that's in him pecks the shell. Twill soon be out. Stubb is a funny guy. He's incredibly in tune with his brethren, but always has lightheartedness about him and a funny way of explaining things at that. The chick pecks the shell. Whatever is inside of Ahab is finding its way out, slowly. This sly comment is very particular. It seems Stubb has a great idea of what's going to happen. He paced for hours before going back into his cabin, re-emerging in the evening time. He holds on to the rails of the Pequod, turns to Starbuck and orders him to send everyone back here to the quarter deck. Everyone to all hands. Mastheads come down. Everyone aft. The crew arrives and trade curious glances with one another. The moon is out and silvery light flows onto the deck. 
There seemed to be a dark storm brewing in Ahab, ready to flash forth at any moment. He eyes the crew right back. His hat was tipped, head down, and he continued his pacing. The crew watched and wondered nervously for a few minutes. Stubb wonders why he even called for all hands. But suddenly, Ahab stops and asks, When you see a white whale, men, what do you do? Sing out for him! Ah, crew, good. And what do ye next, men? Lower away and after him! Captain. And what tune is it ye pull to, men? A, a dead, dead whale or a stove boat. boat! A dead whale or a broken boat. It's one or the other. This whale war cry is sung out by everyone. His crew was getting worked up, excited at the prospect of whale hunting. Ahab's contagious energy flowing through the crew. He seemed to have a magical force on them that no man could resist. Only the smart and careful Starbuck remains weary. Ahab grasped the shrouds tightly as he spoke, almost as if he was trying to restrain the crew with brute force, and his body language couldn't hide it. Starbuck eyes him. He does have them in his firm grasp. Ahab holds up a Spanish ounce of gold, a $16 piece. A doubloon. He asks Starbuck to fetch a hammer. While he goes to grab it, Ahab rubs the gold piece against his jacket, mumbling and humming to himself. The cogs of this old man's mind still turn, no matter how creaky. Whosoever of ye raises me a white-headed whale with a wrinkled brow and a crooked jaw, Whosoever of ye raises me that white-headed whale with three holes punctured in his starboard fluke, look ye. Whosoever of ye raises me that same white whale shall have this gold ounce, my boys. Huzzah! 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 It's a white whale, I say. Skin your eyes for him, men. Look sharp for white water. If ye see but a bubble, sing out, men. Starbuck hands Captain Ahab hammer. Ahab nails the doubloon right up the main mast for everyone to see. The crew eyes it longingly. The balloon's worth a pretty good amount. So he's kind of putting a trophy up there, giving more ambition. And the crew is looking at each other. They don't even know themselves why they're getting so worked up. It's some kind of brute force or monomania that Ab is using against them, getting them to do what he wants, and to great effect. Crew is kind of under his spell at this point, getting all worked up. Meanwhile, the three harpooners, Tashtigo, Dagu, and Kuikweg, all shift about uncomfortably. They seem to know or have heard of this great whale. Tashtigo, the long-haired and round-eyed Indian from Gayhead, speaks and says, Captain Ahab, that white whale must have been the same that some call Moby Dick. Moby Dick? Do you know the white whale then, Tash? 
Dagu, the great and broad African man, speaks next and asks, Do you have a curious spout with very bushy and a wide spray? Then Queequeg chimes in and in his broken English asks, If he has three or so twisted harpoons in his hide, all twisted, and he makes a motion like he's opening a bottle of wine. Aye, Queequeg. The harpoons lie all twisted and wrenched in him. Aye, Dagoo. His spout is a big one, like a whole shock of wheat. And Tashtigo, he fans his tail like mad. Death and devil's men, this is Moby Dick ye has seen. Moby Dick. Now remember, First Mate Starbuck is the only one who still has his head about him in this instance. He knows of Ahab's past, and he sees what Ahab is doing. So he decides to call him out in front of the crew. Starbuck says he has heard of Moby Dick, and asks if he is in the same whale that took off Ahab's leg. Who told thee that? I... It was him who dismasted me. It was Moby Dick that brought me to this dead stump I stand on now. Aye, aye, Moby Dick. Don't say some round good hope around the horn, round the Norway maelstrom, and round perdition's flames before I give him up. And this is what ye have shipped for, men. To chase the white whale on both sides of land and all sides of earth till he spouts black blood and rose fin out. What say ye, men? Will ye splice hands on it now? I think ye do look brave. Aye, aye! A sharp eye for the white whale! A sharp lance for Moby Dick! God bless ye. Bless ye, men. Steward, go grab a great measure of grog. Starbuck, why the long face? Are you not game for Moby Dick? Ahab asks the steward to bring a huge pitcher of watery rum to them. And Starbuck speaks again, saying... I am game for his crooked jaw and the jaws of death if need be, Captain Ahab. But I came here to hunt whales, not my leader's vengeance. How many barrels will thy vengeance yield thee, even if thou gettest it, Captain Ahab? It will not fetch thee much in our Nantucket market. So Starbuck is really calling him out here, in front of everybody. Don't think Ahab doesn't know how to deal with Starbuck, though. Starbuck is saying what everyone is thinking deep down but can't say. Ishmael is here among the crowd, among the crew. But the book does not say exactly how he was reacting. I'm sure he was one in the crowd and game as well, but with a sickly feeling in his gut. This chapter is told as if we're looking down upon the Pequod, and Ishmael is very observative. Well, Ahab is going to respond to Starbuck here, saying... He doesn't care how much the money is. He asks, what is money? What do we put on a pedestal? He says that his vengeance will fetch a great price in his heart and soul, and he pounds his chest. Second mate Stubb whispers, Oh, 
He smites his chest. What's that for? Methinks it rings most vast, but hollow. Indeed, Mr. Stubb. His walk and talk are large. Vast, even. He looks big from the outside, but within. He's hollow and empty. Starbuck fights back against Ahab here, saying, Vengeance on a dumb brute, an animal that smote thee from blindest instinct. Madness! To be enraged with such a dumb thing, Captain Ahab, seems blasphemous. He's really reasoning with Ahab here, saying the whale did not do this specifically to tarnish Ahab's reputation and to sting his soul as it did. The animal was simply following its natural instincts and protecting itself. So why is Ahab so terribly enraged and upset? Let's hear it directly from Captain Ahab himself. Starbuck, let me let you into a little lower lair. Something you may not have thought. Everything we see, everything we battle against and grind our souls against in life are but paper masks. This whale, too, something hides behind his facade. That whale, to me, is more than just a whale. It is the fates. It is thy demigod. It is life itself. It is more than I can explain. If a man should strike, strike through the mask, I say, he tasks me. And how can a prisoner reach outside except by thrusting through the wall? To me, the white whale is that wall shoved near to me, and I must break it down. Sometimes I think there's naught beyond, and that's enough. In the whale, I see the swirling of the worst malice brewing within. He is all things terrible to me. He is all-encompassing evil to me. I will wreak that hate upon him. Talk to me not of blasphemy, man. I'd strike the sun if it insulted me. For if the sun could insult me, then in all fair play, I should be able to strike back. But even fair play is not my master in this life. Who's over me? Who is over me? Take off thine eye. Don't look at me. More intolerable than a fiend's gaze is a dumbfounded stare. Look ye, Starbuck. I did not mean to incense thee. Look. Look at our crew, man. Are they not one and all with Ahab? See Stubb, he laughs. It is all of us. We are all on this hunt and game for the whale. So Starbuck, are you the odd man out? You are a whale hunter. And we are out here hunting whales. So why not, Moby Dick? Ahab knows he has Starbuck right under his thumb. They're so far out at sea. The crew's already in his grasp. How could they fight against this? Create an entire mutiny? <coughs> create an entire mutiny against Ahab? 
Is it worth it? They're supposed to be hunting whales, after all. Starbuck lets out a prayer, half to himself. God, save us. Save us all. Ahab definitely didn't hear it. Now let me read you a direct quote here. Quote, But in his joy at the enchanted tacit acquiescence of the mate, Ahab did not hear his foreboding invocation, nor yet the low laugh from the hold, nor yet the presaging vibrations of the wind in the cordage, nor yet the hollow flap of the sails against the masts. As for a moment, the heart sank in. For again, Starbuck's downcast eyes lighted up with the stubbornness of life. The subterranean laugh died away. The winds blew on. The sails filled out. The sheep heaved and rolled as before. Ah, ye admonitions and warnings. Why stay ye not when ye come? But rather are ye predictions than warnings, ye shadows. Yet not so much predictions from without as verifications of the foregoing things within. For with little external to constrain us, the innermost necessities in our being, these still drive us on. Unquote. So, in my words, Ahab did not hear this prayer. Starbuck's eyes are cast down to the planks. All is quiet for a second. A quiet and mysterious laugh comes from down below, in the hold. The wind dies down. For a quick moment, the hearts of the sails sunk in. They flapped hollow, and the air stood still. But suddenly, just as quick as everything left, all returns to life. The wind fills the sails, the gale blows. Starbuck's eyes light back up with life. The ship rolls and heaves, just as before. The whole world seemed to come to a sudden and haunting halt. Warnings of life, you leave as quickly as you come. But rather than warnings, they are more so predictions, you shadows. Maybe not predictions of life outside, but maybe a way of verifying our innermost feelings. For with little outside to stop us in our tracks, the most human necessities in us still drive us on. Ahab calls out for the pewter, a big mug filled to the brim with rum. Now we will see this dark ceremony Ahab puts on. He orders the harpooners to produce their weapons before him, near the capstan. The rest of the crew forms a circle around them. Ahab stands for a moment, eyeing every member of his crew slowly. Those wild eyes met his. Bloodshot eyes of the prairie wolves meet the eyes of their leader. Just before he rushes out and leads the pack to the trail of the bison. But alas, only to fall into the hidden snare trap of the Indian. And what foreboding foreshadowing we have here. Drink can pass. The crew alone, now. Drink. Round with it. Short pulls, long swallows, men. It's hot at Satan's hoof. It spiralizes in ye. Forks out at the serpent's snapping eye. Well done, almost empty. That way it went, this way it comes. Hand it here. Here's a hollow. Men ye seen the years. 
And so brimming life is gulped and gone. Steward, refill. Attend now, my braves. I have gathered ye round this capstan. And ye mates, flank me with your lances. And ye harpooners, stand there with your weapons. And ye stout mariners, ye crew, ring me in. So the fishermen fathers before me here. O men, advance mates, cross your lances full before me. Let me touch the axis. He orders his mates to stand in front of him with the harpoons, cross them together. Ahab grabs the point where they all meet while staring directly into the three eyes of his mates. He shakes the harpoons. Stub and flask avert their gaze from his to the side, but honest Starbuck, standing in the middle, lowers his gaze to the floor in poor acknowledgement of Ahab's power. Poor Starbuck has been sapped. Ahab now orders the three mates to be cupbearers for the three head harpooners. He tells them to take the sharp barb at the end out, so they are left holding long steel tubes with one open end. He tells them to flip them over as goblets. The harpooners are handed the empty poles as Ahab goes around and fills them up with the pewter. Now three to three you stand. Commend the murderous chalices. Ye who are now made parties to this league. Ha! Starbuck! But the deed is done. Drink, ye harpooners. Drink and swear. Ye men, that man, the deathful whaleboats bow. Death to Moby Dick. God hunt us all if we do not hunt Moby Dick to his death. The long steel goblets were lifted. To cries from the crew against the whale, the spirits slide down their throats with a hiss. Starbuck, at the sight of this dark and twisted ritual, turns away and pales and shivers. The pewter goes around among the frantic crew. When finally Ahab waves his free hand to them, they all disperse, and Ahab retires to his cabin. So, this has been an immense scene in every single way. We can see how it is a twisted parody of some religious practices. It speaks a lot of Ahab's true and dark leadership. Everything in this story seems to be predetermined and specific, and we can see the universe seems to halt at some moments. Poor Starbuck is truly at a loss. Now, Starbuck was not a man to chase unnecessary perils, and he does have a family back home. He does not want to die at sea. We do not know for sure, but some of his family members could have potentially been lost to the sea in the past. A courageous man he is, and with a strong will. But even his spirit is being demolished by Ahab. So of course the average sailor is all in for this voyage. Ahab has a dictatorship that he abuses terribly. He's even trying to set this all in stone with this ceremony. And he really has the crew all on one page. Truly devious is Ahab, and cunning as well. 
he very deliberately is smashing Starbuck's spirit and forcing him to follow along with sly ultimatums. It's truly terrible. And Ahab, with his ferocious way of thinking, he would strike the sun if it insulted him, he says. He does not go by the rules of the world. He does not abide by your average man's beliefs. He is lost in his madness, but has retained enough cunning to be able to do what he's doing. On the other hand, you can see a sad and pained older man who has seemed to lose everything, even his mind, in terrible pain and loss of his leg. Do you feel bad for Ahab, Starbuck, the crew, everyone? How does this scene make you feel? Have you ever been pressed into doing something you didn't think truly was right in your soul? If you were a member of this crew aboard the Pequod at this moment, how would you react? Keep in mind, your name's already signed on the contract and you're thousands of leagues out to sea. We can see Herman Melville has painted us a beautiful picture of despair and wants us to think about so much more than what is just shown in front of the painting. He wants us to peek our head into the strokes, to turn our necks around the corners and edges of the lines he drew, where seemingly there is nothing painted. The sections that are virtually non-existent, but are mere ideas. That is where he wants us to eventually peer. His gorgeous paintings hang here for us blatantly, and so gorgeous are they on their own. But if we take a deeper look, he has hidden small and special boxes of thoughts and ideas around these walls and corners of his paintings. So I ask you to come take a walk with me. Aboard the Pequod, our crew is going downhill, but they cannot see it. Almost everyone is blinded by this dictatorship. Starbuck has lost his fortitude. It's a truly deep portion of our story, but it's just beginning. The drastic difference in characters here is wild. The atmosphere and descriptions are out of this world. And these two forces ever pulling on each other. The good, the evil. But what makes this more interesting is that it's almost hard to pinpoint what is the good and what's the evil. Who is the antagonist? The whale? Captain Ahab? And how mysterious a character that Ahab, in his monomania and despair, and yet he is so smart. We see nature rearing its head. Ishmael is so very observative and open to the world. He's an interpreter. However, Ahab, as we've seen and will see, is the writer. He does not interpret. He forces his own vision. What he sees, he sees, and what he believes, he believes. The way he says he would strike the sun. He hardly abides by natural rules. So how can this manic man get these men to follow along? Well, he's very smart about it. He's bribing them, tricking them, making a ceremony of it, telling them they're brave, talking them up, big time. He has crushed Starbuck. Does he have humanity in him? Does he have any kindness in his heart? Ahab, we will find our answer to these questions eventually. But what will come of our crew? What will come of the brave but quick-breaking Starbuck? The easy-going and ever-smoking stub? The short and sturdy flask? 
their respective harpooners. Everyone else and all their families back home. Our good friend Ishmael and his friend Queequeg. I want to thank you all so much for joining me on this long episode. It's a huge one for me and I put a lot of time and effort into it. Hope you enjoy it. It's a great, just a big scene. And uh, I hope you guys are right there with me and feeling it as if you're right there on the Pequod. That's my goal for you guys is to be in the story and feeling it every moment, every twist and turn of it as I am. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoy creating it. And if you want to talk with me or be featured on here, have your poetry read, whatever it may be, talk with me about your favorite books, please reach out to me. Again, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, uh, my website, Libsyn, wherever. And if you are on there, you find me on Facebook or whatever, please let me know how you like my show. And if you did like it, please leave me a positive review. It would truly mean the world to me. This is a labor of love for me, and it's something I'm going to be doing for a long time. It's something I absolutely will not stop doing, no matter what. So if you guys could help me out on this venture, I'd really appreciate it. This episode was written and recorded by Dylan C. And a very quick side note. Um, as you all know, my name is Dylan C. And I've, uh, I am an aspiring children's author and literary fiction author, as well as host of the Night Reader podcast and a number of other things that I dabble in and like to uh, kind of do uh, music and other stuff like that. So if you could follow my page on Instagram at Night Reader Podcast to keep up with me and my publishing journey, I'd really appreciate that as well. Thank you so much, guys. If you go to my Instagram, my Twitter, or my Facebook, you'll see a link to my website. It's nightreader.libsyn.com. Check it out there. I have a lot of cool stuff. There's a blog, some information about me, all my episodes available for streaming. And another cool thing, if you click on the contact tab on the top right, you can sign up for the, uh, the roundtable email list. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to get weekly emails from me um, about books, uh, writing tips, poetry, inspirational stuff, uh, music, uh, events nearby, uh, all kinds of cool things. So uh, if you want to sign up for that, go to my website or find me on Facebook or wherever and just send me a private message and let me know your email that you want to sign up. Uh, I'll never try to sell you anything, I promise. All right, guys. Thanks so much. So go on, night readers. Flip your pages. Drop your swords. Pick up your pens and reading spectacles. Let us read on. 